Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Brickland's Frightfest preview podcast. Welcome to another Brickland's Frightfest preview podcast. Today I've got with me Mickey Keegan. Hello, Mickey. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Um, just for the benefit of the listeners, as we have this in the preamble, I'm talking to you while you're eight hours away from me, while downstairs from me, my relatives have just arrived from your time zone, and a little 21-month-old is um, is not knowing what day it is, because he thinks it's 11 o'clock in the morning like you are. And uh, I, well, feel, I feel sorry for the little fella. Yes, you're safe for hosting me in such conditions. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's a pleasure's mine. I'm having a little break at the minute, so that's good. Um, so, Psychopaths is your film. Yes. Do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis as to what Psychopaths is all about? Uh, well, Psychopaths is my, my newest film. It's a collage of violence and glamour and chaos over the course of one crazy night as uh, the soul of a legendary serial killer descends upon a city and may or may not awaken uh, the demons within a bunch of what he calls vessels. So you have all these different storylines of all these crazy psychos reaching, uh, wreaking havoc over the course of a single night. Well, that sounds like the perfect recipe for, uh, for a horror film. And I, and I should add, I'm a big fan of Carnage Park, by the way. I recently got the DVD of it. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how I came across it. It was, uh, well, I know I got the film. It was, um, yeah, you, you, you were on the list of films you should see, like a, a group of horror films. And I was like, hold on a minute, I don't know that film. And so uh, <laughs> I went and found out, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, th- thank you for watching. It's funny, my, uh, my UK box cover uh, artwork is leaves a little something to be desired on that one. But, uh, but I'm glad that you were able to look past that and see the film because <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's very, very much my love letter to like seventies exploitation grindhouse movies. Um, Just but a little bit. is, uh, definitely a, like a one eighty turn and it's completely different. If you loved carnage park, uh, maybe you'll love psychopaths. If you hated carnage park, maybe you'll love psychopaths. I don't know. <laughs> this, this feels like a very meta conversation. I've got a, I, I like a broad church of films. I think, I think there's room for both in your life. Good, great. That's that's what I'm going for. Well, I've, I mean, and the other thing is I've listened to your soundtrack a lot as well. I really enjoyed it. That was one thing that stuck out when I watched it. So I'm looking. At, have you have you have you made similar music choices for um, for for psychopaths? 
Yes, absolutely. This one, uh, you know, we, we kind of, I had a lot of fun with Carnage Park, you know, doing uh, more pop music less kind of uh, soundtrack work. And so for Psychopaths, actually, we, it's front to back, it's all uh, music drops. It's, we, had, we cleared 18 songs, I think, and then we had. Gee, uh, really? Yes, it was it was chaos trying to get you know trying to get all that organized, and then we had uh, two original artists make music. One's named Sh- one guy's named Schaefer James, and he is incredible. And the other uh, guy is named Kyle Regal. He's in a band called Cemeteries. Made some really insane uh, atmospheric music, and it's really cool. And so we're hoping to get that out soon too. I love I love the fact that you've that you've gone to such lengths as part of the music as much as the film. It sounds like. The two, the two dance together for you in terms of making yeah. a movie. And, you know, to me, it's like I'm really I was really kind of inspired by like, uh, you know, those the kind of independent film movement in the in America in the 90s and having, you know, a really killer soundtrack and and mm. having people walk out of the out of the movie and want to buy that and hear some songs, hopefully, that they've never heard before. Uh, and so that was really kind of the goal with this, because there are so many different there are multiple storylines in the film, and every single film has its own kind of, or every single storyline has its own kind of style and vibe. And so we wanted to make sure to get enough uh, music to really fit the tone of each character. And and I noticed that uh, Larry Fessenden is uh, making an appearance again in your movie. Oh, always yes, Larry is. I owe quite a bit to Larry Fessenden, and so I always try to. I'm going to keep casting him in my films until he says enough. <laughs> really. Yes, love him. In what 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 is it? What do you, what what have you learned from him? Because obviously that guy, I guess he's forgotten more than we'll ever know. Oh no, I hope not. Well, so what I when I was in uh, film school, I was obsessed with their with the whole Glass Eye Picks canon. I was really inspired by how they make movies, and so when summer uh, vacation was approaching. I I called them up. I found their number on like a, a, a promotional one sheet for one of their films, and I dialed the number and I begged them. I was like, I'll do anything for you guys over the summer. I'll get coffee. I just want to be part of that. And so they were really great and let me come and intern there and kind of watch how they uh, worked and how they made movies. And I, I I talked a lot with Larry. You know, I would. He has a, a great like farm up in Woodstock, New York, and it's it's a two hour drive or so from New York City. And mm. so uh, I would drive him there, and uh, and we would talk about film. We would talk. He, he was really kind of like it was important to, for him to stress like the art of filmmaking and the art of horror films and the important of importance of horror films. And I think now you can kind of see his influence on all these new filmmakers like Adam Wingard and Ty West and JT Petty and Jim Mickle. And so it's really, uh, I think, I think he's like the John Cassavetes of independent horror films. <laughs> That's a beautiful description. I like, yes. I like what you're saying. And it, so, so what you're saying there is, 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 it's not, we don't just, we don't just rattle off horror films. We should be conscious that we're making films, but they're horror films. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. You, you, Absolutely. And, you know, and, and the importance that, that horror films can have a commentary and horror films can be saying something about our society and not just be violent or scary. They can be all of those things, but they can also have uh, an artistic kind of commentary or significance to them. I think that really kind of uh, molded my 19 year old brain <laughs> tremendously. No, and I think I think it's it's it, for me, that's the, that's the reason for doing a genre movie, whether it be a sci fi or horror is. Is it's it's to use it as a Trojan horse for something else that you want to you want to expose? I think absolutely. And and on top of that, I think 
you know, genre and horror fans are just so passionate and energetic. And it's really, to me, I'm very happy that I get to make movies where that, that, you know, people can feel passionate about and they can fight about and they can, you know, uh, kind of dissect further more than like, uh, anything else. And so that's why it's kind of a combination of all, of all the great things. But for me, it definitely, uh, Larry Fessenden gave me that first kind of sight into the world of making movies. Now, not not to make you repeat something you've already said, um, you've got you've got a quite a prestigious slot at Fright Fest this year, haven't you? We were just talking oh, about when 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 you when you I think I was losing for a second. Are you still got me now? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay, I was just saying that um, that that forgive me for making you repeat something we've kind of already said or before we started the show. Um, but you've got quite a plum slot in terms of your your timing in the festival where your film's going to be showing. Yes, absolutely. So we're playing we're one of the opening night films at Fright Fest, and to me, like I couldn't be more honored. I and, and they are the most supportive, incredible film festival, and uh, and yeah, they've given me some incredible opportunities over the years. And when I saw that announcement, you know, I'm even honored that they reached out to want to see the film just because those guys are also so great uh but you know they're a huge film festival and and they mm. program of really important and really exciting things and so even to just have uh paul and alan reach out to me about seeing the movie i was like oh that's in- incredible so i sent them the link and then when i saw the announcement that that we were one of the opening films i was literally like i almost fainted it was such <laughs> an honor <laughs> so uh you know i think i think uh we got a lot to live up to with the other with the other films that are that are playing that night, but uh, I'm very very humbled to be a part of that. It's like it's it's um, what's the phrase? My friends of mine used to be in a band. It's it's sort of when when it's because it's the three films as opposed to the six during the full days because you're opening night. It's like there is no competition, but I will win. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, no, it's just it's just such an honor to be to be there, and you know, to to be able to have my film play for such an audience. So I'm very, very. I would take any spot, really. <laughs> and, and I've been. It's one thing. I'm, I don't know. Over the years, I've covered Fright Fest doing preview podcasts. It's one thing I've never discussed. But this year, I seem to be focused on it. I think it's probably because the the. I don't know if you know the festival moved to kind of like an outer London cinema last year. <laughs> Um, and this year it's returned back to Leicester Square, which is kind right. of which is kind of home of the film premiere. It's where all the Hutzpah go. You know, when the big movies open in London, that's the that that's the big square where you'll see people have will have brought production values to 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 the red carpet. You know, and the triumphant so, return. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so in that sense, you know, your 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 film's going to be showing at kind of it's going to have its European premiere at sort of film premiere central in a way oh it's so incredible it's it's the i it literally is just like it's very uh it's definitely a high point and and really i mean it makes it kind of all worthwhile because making a film is always there's always it's always traumatic you know uh, i've made five but they never are there's never been a movie that i've made that's gotten easier to make or been more kind of stressful and so i mean this is really what it what it's what you work for when you're in like the you know the depths of editing you hope that you make something that anybody will be interested in uh and so it's it's a really great payoff at at the end of a long road indeed indeed so let's let's rewind the clock a bit then so you're you're the writer and director of this movie so there's yeah. there's there's a great deal of knowledge about 
conceiving and producing this movie right here on the show. So let's start with psychopaths as an idea and a conceit. Where did that? Where was that born for you, and how did you begin to shape that into what became the movie? Well, I was really so I uh, made a film called Darling uh, in. February 2000, no, sorry, November 2014. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, during that time, I was also kind of, because Darling's an homage to uh, Polanski, and it's an homage to kind of Jean-Luc Godard's films, and it's, you know, uh, all these kind of different, uh, The Innocence, the, uh, the, the Haunting, those kind of films. But also, I was really inspired by two Robert Altman films, which are that Cold Day in the Park and Images. And oh, really? Around Time. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Masterworks of like surreal kind of uh, character descents. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so during that time, I was really kind of revisiting and, and, and really obsessing Robert Altman's filmography uh, and particularly just like this this strange kind of liquid nature of his ensemble pieces, which, you know, he kind of had that famous quote where it's like, if it gets boring, we just cut to another story. And so in, in pre-production on Darling, uh, that really kind of sat in my mind, that idea. Uh, and then when we wrapped Darling, I went, I went to my, my parents live in Florida. And so I went to their place for Thanksgiving. We had just wrapped around Thanksgiving. And so I started coming up with this idea of just like an ensemble piece, another kind of like psychopathic, surreal ensemble piece, because I was still on that train of like, uh, you know, the real kind of hallucinatory surreal movies and then that kind of sat there for a little while i didn't i didn't start writing it but then slowly but surely while we were making my film carnage park uh the idea of doing a multi-story ensemble piece about psychopaths really clawed its way out of my brain and that's kind of the way that i don't know why that is that that's the way that my brain works but you know i'll have an, a kernel of an idea for a movie and it will sit there for a long time subconsciously and then one day it'll just show up and the movie will be there. And so that was that was the idea. I wrote uh, a couple drafts of it and tried to get the financing off the ground for a little while. But as as always, it's never easy to get a movie financed. And so uh, eventually, finally, I met I met the two producers, Cam and Al, who are from Australia, who really kind of took a risk on the movie and said, great, okay, we'll, we'll finance it. And they were super supportive, and, you know, that's kind of how it, it started to get off the ground. Okay. So, so when you, in terms of you, your writing style, are you, yeah. what, when, you've, when you've let something sort of evolve in your head and then you start to commit it to paper, are, mm -hmm. you, are, you sort of, are you going straight into script and going, right, I know what to do? Are you outlining? Are you are you sort of writing character bags? What's your kind of approach to developing your screenplays? Well, I handwrite every script first, which is no, I, you do not. Oh, absolutely! It's like uh, it's it's very kind of because I think the biggest thing that is the deterring factor for writers is just the physical process of sitting down and when you have a final draft <sighs> document, a word document, or anything. Yeah. There's this weird kind of stale perfection of the format of the script where it's like it looks like a professional script. And then it kind of to me becomes a little bit daunting to go back and revise it because it's already close to like professional as it will look. But if you handwrite a script like I've got the worst handwriting in the entire world, I literally it's just a way to completely exercise that idea out on the page. It doesn't have to look good. It doesn't have to read well. And then when you go that next process into typing it, it almost is like doing 
a second draft because then you start realizing like it's it shouldn't it's not supposed to look good it's not supposed to to do anything besides service the story from front to back and so that's kind of what I do but uh while we were I had some some storylines written mm-hmm. and but I became very good friends with Ashley Bell while we were shooting Carnage Park and we had a great time uh shooting Carnage Park and so as soon as we wrapped Carnage Park I said to her look like I think that it would be really exciting for me to write a character for you into the script and find a way to kind of weave that around into it. And she was like, absolutely. And so we kind of talked about what do you want to play? How do you want to do this? And she, uh, we, she kind of came up with a bunch of ideas and then I actually ended up writing her storyline into the script. So it was this very kind of, uh, fluid and flexible, uh, process of writing this one, but it, you know, with, with every script, it's just, you start with the handwriting and you let the story take you to where it takes you and then you uh, look at it and hope it's a movie. <laughs> you make the handwriting element of it sound very attractive, if I'm honest with you, because I could, I totally connect with what you're saying is that to, to go into a computer program and start typing is, a, like you say, it feels like you're doing something that's already polished, even though, like you're saying... The idea isn't, even if the words on the page can look like it because they're in 12-point courier. Um, Absolutely. But then by doing it on the paper, you're allowing yourself to go, okay, this doesn't matter how imperfect it is because it's not a script. It's me letting it go and then seeing what I get, isn't it, is what you're saying. And also, yeah, and, and, you know, for me, like, I also, I'm really obsessed with drawing story. I'm not a good artist at all uh, in terms of drawing or anything, but I love the idea uh, when I'm writing and I come up with an idea just for – since I direct everything that I write, I'll draw a little sketch of what I think that the frame should look like on the side of the paper. And then you kind of just like are able it's, – it's the most uh, primal version of creativity. And I, I really highly recommend it to anybody who's just – who can't muster up the will to sit at the computer and, and type something out. Well, the computer sometimes feels like punishment. You know, like totally. you're, you're sitting there and it's going, feed me. And you're going, you're right. I've got nothing. I can't give you anything. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you're like, because for me also, uh, I, I like to sometimes go away from the computer just because it's like if I write a half a page, I'm like, oh, well, what's what can I look up on the Internet? You know, what, how can I spend 35 minutes looking up movie trivia or something? And then I get just distracted. So for me, it's just notebooks. Sometimes I go outside and, and just Go crazy with it. Sounds sounds like you're kind of it's like you're fighting the organic and then the then the process that you have to go through in the end to get it to finish. I like that. Totally, absolutely. And so, you know, since since I'm really the one who it's the writing is is for me. I just want to be able to impress myself first. And if I can't, if if I go into it knowing how sloppy and ugly it's going to be, it really becomes easier to mold that sculpture into something comprehensible i hope <laughs> well no because it's interesting because just your attitude there because there's there's, there's the famous thing ernest hemingway who says you know yeah when you're writing for the first time anything you have to wake up in the morning and accept what you're going to write is shit because yeah. it will change because nobody's ever wrote i mean i'm sure there are, there's an exception somewhere but rarely does anybody write the first thing that they commit to an idea and go Da-da! it's finished apart from totally. bad apart from bad stuff you know Absolutely, absolutely. It's true. You are listening to 
the Gritflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. So, what was what would you say were the storytelling challenges of that? Especially like you consider now you've just told me that you kind of wrote it and then introduced a new character as well. So, what what for you were the storytelling challenges for um, for coming? bringing psychopaths together? Well, I think, you know, it's funny because I think, as it always is, is that the script inevitably is always different from what you film. And what I really do encourage is improvisation. I encourage ideas being brought to the, being brought to every single day of production by the actors because that's really important to me. And the way that, so I meticulously storyboard the film, but in my mind, it's like, okay, I've the frame is the stage, and now within those borders, they can do whatever they want uh, to a certain extent. You know, obviously, it's like we're not going to completely change the 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 scene, but you know, dialogue scenes can go on longer. Uh, actors can bring different ideas. I really enjoy that. I think that's very exciting. And so, for us, while we the the story challenges didn't come until the edit, because while we like I said, the movie is very free flowing. It's very uh, it is not anyone going into this movie expecting like you know uh, a traditional slasher film is going to be you know they have their world kind of shaken because it's very much that kind of liquid ensemble piece which I like. So what we kind of the challenge for the story came in the edit when we just tried to had that freedom to balance it into the most effective way possible, mm. and so we spent a lot of time shifting stories around, moving stuff up, moving stuff later, which was amazing, but it was the reason why I feel like I've got this track record now of putting out movies constantly, but for this one, I was just like, I want, you know, we took almost a year to edit the film. We really kind of concentrated. We watched it with a lot of different, you know, small audiences just to get that kind of uh, feeling, because when you, when you can feel a movie dragging, there's nothing worse than watching it with people because <laughs> then you really feel like it's dragging. And so, yeah, we just, uh, that was, that was the storytelling complications. Uh, first and foremost, I think was came from the edit. Okay. So, so you were confident you had the pieces for the jigsaw, but, but the, but the editing process allowed you to, to maybe change the final, the final image the jigsaw was to become as it were. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that I've never, with every movie that I ever make, I always want to try something new. And if a movie's not challenging, you shouldn't make it because you should want to, you know, uh, pull all of your hair out by the time the movie's done. And mm. so for me, that was really the, the exciting thing. Cause it was like, I know that, that each one of these stories could be their own individual horror film. Right. So now, now the process is having them really, and granted, you know, there, there are transitions that, there are we couldn't just go hog wild with the film because there are certain transitions that lead into other things. There are certain things that kind of like, you know, uh, mesh together. But it's a lot. I'd say it's probably 50 percent completely calculated in terms of narrative and then 50 percent kind of free form uh, when we came to the edit, which was really crazy, which was awesome. <laughs> but, can, can you uh, give any can you get without spoiling? Can you give an example of where? Something was at one part of the script and ended up being shifted in the edit to a very different place in the, in the film. Is there any yeah, way you can give, illustrate that? Uh, so particularly Ashley Bell's character, she has a big musical moment uh, in the film because right. her character specifically is 
this uh, she's an escape mental patient who in while she's doing very violent things she's in this 1950s dream world mm-hmm. so originally we had set up the 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 idea of her character introduction to become really you know later in the film like 45 minutes into the film and then we get this song and dance sequence and that's kind of like the trajectory of the plot from there but oh, then yeah. when we were when we were cutting we were just like she cuz i there it, i don't think it's any secret to anybody Ashley Bell is one of the most talented actors probably working today, and she's so kind of like magnetic and brings everything to uh, every role that she's given, but particularly this movie. And um, so we were like, well, why not? You know, we have the freedom. We can definitely introduce her character earlier and introduce this song earlier. And so we ended up moving that earlier into the film to kind of uh, really, really have everyone, you know, excited for her to show up and so that was one of the examples uh you know there wasn't anything particularly like insanely dramatic i'd say we stayed fairly close to the relative intention of of the plot flow but happy things like that were really exciting nice i know it sounds sounds really good it sounds like really it's it's, it sounds like it's that idea of i guess fighting instinct and and um and then seeing the opportunity when when you can step back from it because obviously you're you're constantly you're, you're always hoping you get what you need and then I guess in the edit you're having to fight with what you've got and so right totally and to me I think I think I'm kind of editing is you know post production is my favorite aspect you know to a certain extent and what I think is interesting is like you know we're fairly ruthless when we cut our movies in the sense that. If something doesn't work, it's not included in the movie. Okay. And, you know, there are certain I, – with I know many filmmakers who will include things and, and make up excuses as to why it doesn't work. But in my mind, it's like, well, then the movie – you just shouldn't have that in your film. That should just not be something. If you have to make up an excuse for something you shot or why something is a certain way, then you're not going to be able to explain your – your work to every single person watching it. So it just shouldn't be there. Um, and so for me, I really, I, I really am excited by the notion of, of letting the film take its final form in the edit more than anything, because when you shoot a movie, there's always something different that can happen from the script. There's always a different way that, you know, maybe one day is something happens and you can't shoot that scene the way you intended so you have to be willing to ride and, and ebb and flow and go with those punches because making movies is ne- never goes the way you plan. Is that is that confidence something you've got from this being your fifth movie, or was was the opportunity of doing even better with the film something you've always sort of felt was necessary from from the first one? Well, I think it's I think it comes from a, a number of places. I think that. You know, my first movie that I ever made cost nothing. We could only shoot it on weekends because no one could afford to quit their day job. It was really kind of just like an exercise in seeing if you can do that. And very, and oh, yeah. very quickly, you kind of realize like, like anything that you go up from with nothing, you kind of learn like, oh, all these scrappy little traits that I took and and all these small things that we were able to adjust because we didn't have any time or money, like I can implement that into a bigger film and a bigger budget and that doesn't necessarily hurt the movie. But yeah. all, all, uh, the, the idea 
comes from that Robert Altman mentality where it's just like you want to catch you know the film as an art form is very uh, organic it's very it's a living breathing process and you want to be not scared of doing that you know of, of really kind of going with it because a lot of times the film tells you when it's done and not the other way around and unfortunately you know especially as you get into the higher budget and especially as we get into this sorry my cat just knocked over a bunch of coffee oh damn <laughs> uh, as soon as uh, you get to this process where we, we work with digital editing now uh, and everything, the turnaround time is super quick, post-production process is often devalued and you have to have a cut within seven weeks, ten weeks, and then no one really has uh, the enthusiasm to kind of pursue what you edited and, or what you shot and what you worked on and let it flow. And so I really kind of uh, – have embraced that early on and like the uh, the notion of letting the film tell me when it's done. Now, granted, I'm sure that when I start working with studios, <laughs> they will not enjoy that. But, uh, you know, slowly but surely, we'll, we'll have our way. Well, no, it's interesting because I remember listening to an interview with um, Stephen Gagan talking about his his approach to, to writing movies. And he talked about, he referenced Tolstoy, of all people, who oh, who, who, who said that, you know, storytelling <laughs> is in the transition now, given what you were saying, what Altman was, was, was talking about, which is if we get bored of that one, we move to a new story, which is about the idea of transition. And, and obviously, edit is where the beauty of the ballet of, the, of every transition to every moment in the movie becomes integral in making the film a success, I guess, doesn't it? Absolutely, completely. And, you know, and I think for something like this, I kind of view psychopaths as, to an extent... Uh, a musical in a way, like like and a, a musical of violence in, in a certain way. And, you know, there's nothing worse than a musical that just drags or has too many songs or, you know, has too much uh, dialogue in between the song and dance sequence. And that's that's what I really that was the fun and the excitement of trying something like like this, just uh, to really, really push and, and, and think. Because unlike Carnage Park, you know, Carnage Park has has that, you know, the two characters are going to come to a head at one point. And so yeah. it's all kind of finding a way to get there as fast and entertaining as possible. And so for this one, it was really exciting to say, throw out all of those things that we learned on Carnage Park. And now it's about how can we make each scene as thrilling, as crazy, as psychedelic, as uh, energetic and also service the whole of the movie. So uh, yeah, that that's what we, that was the intention, I guess. You'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised from Carnage Park. I I couldn't help myself but make a note of um, of of the the scene to, the very opening sequences of the movie where where you've got the girl in and out of the trunk of the car. Oh, cool! And she tries yeah. to run away, and he's and I can't remember the character's name now, but I wrote it down for myself and just because I, I love the line, which was. And, I, and the reason, there's a point of, to be saying this from what you said earlier, but uh, this is your new Bible and it only has one verse, thou shalt not fucking run away, which <laughs> I love that line. I really, really sort of grabbed me and I was like, I'm in this movie now. Wow. Oh, thank you. It, yeah. uh, you're welcome. But but the reason I ask is because you, you, you said before that you you kind of have a kind you're kind of liberal with with what the script says and what your actors do in terms of allowing them to improvise and stuff. So on the first level, was that something that was scripted, or did that come out of your sort of stretch, your, your willingness to let the, the actors stretch what they're going to say in the scene? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's funny. I think the, what I, I would be a really bad both writer and director if I if there wasn't uh, some semblance of that. So I'm sure there was some version of that. But obviously, you know, anything that, that script, like dialogue anybody writes is always stilted until the actor brings it to life. Yeah. Uh, um, the actor can uh, for whatever. And then you just change it and then you figure out something. But I think most for whatever, you know, that's totally a tribute to James and his delivery. And he really kind of got into the role of Scorpion Joe to mm. such a, to such a degree that um, whatever I had written on the page could no way compare to how he performs. It. <laughs> no, it is. It's a great moment. And to anyone listening, it's I've not seen it. It's, it's a real fun Real fun moment in the movie, um, but then thinking about psychopaths. Then, so what? What is it? Um, what What are you doing with and for your actors when you're on set? Then, so they've got the script. You, you know, you're blocking it out. You know what you want to do. Obviously, money is is an object. It is that you, we can't. Have, it's not. It's not infinite. So you, you haven't mm-hmm. got all day to do stuff. But so, how do you balance that sort of give and take between what you need and also discovering what they can give you? Uh, well, I mean, I think what my my key point, like the thing that I really, really try to do is uh, be as prepared as possible in terms of what we're framing and how I want the blocking to be to some to some degree. Because we only shot psychopaths in in it ended up being seventeen days all in. Blimey, um, blimey. You know, which is yeah. which is. A nightmare to think. So my job as the director, to in it in my mind, is to make sure that all the technical elements of what the frame should be are thought of more more than ever. You know, before we even step onto set. So mm. what I do is I storyboard. Probably I try to do it three times. I usually only get to to you know. Two and a half. Uh, in my for my, I have a, a, a my new project that I'm working on. I'm actually cutting animatic, which is even a degree crazier. But um, so <laughs> what I do is, so me and the cinematographer, we sit down and we talk about everything, how we're going to do it. We walk through it. Uh, then before we even shoot, we go through the shot list and we decide like, okay, if we shoot uh, shots one, six, and seven first then we don't have to change the lighting to you know we can adjust the lighting faster than having to flip the entire room and then from there once so by the time you know and then when we're on set everybody including like the the person standing by the crafty table gets uh a shot list so everybody knows what they're working towards and everyone knows like this is the amount what we have to get through today and so from there that's that creates an efficiency for the actors to really kind of come and, and free flow and and work within that kind of stage like I kind of talked about. And for me, you know, I'm not an actor. I don't really I they I just get tremendous pleasure in watching my words come to life by and letting and giving them that kind of like once they take on the character, it's their character and they can do whatever, you know, say whatever, express, do anything like that. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of, I just get to watch. And with someone like uh, Angela or Ashley or James, of course, uh, you know, they're so good <laughs> that really there's not a lot of directing on my part from that part. Now, I've only, obviously, I've only seen the, the trailer for your, for your movie, um, mm. but stylistically it's it's a very it's a very different look and feel to to Carnage Park. Um, yes. I, I can only use that as a comparison to any film I've seen of yours. Um but 
so, so what was your conversation with the DLP about what you were going for with this? I mean, there seems to be a real, you know, from what I can see of the two minutes, there's there's a real luridness to uh, to psychopaths. Um, yeah. So how did that conversation sort of start and develop with your DLP? Well, I think, you know, what I like to do is, uh, going back to the idea of being prepped, I do these kind of like psychotic uh, visual Bibles pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so there, with Carnage Park, there was probably, and, and my movie before that, there was probably 10 or 20 movies that were the kind of visual, like, like landmarks kind of where it's like hey you know this is the jumping off point now we can take it to whatever we want and for me you know i was really also kind of uh watching a lot of of really vibrant you know uh films that are just like 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 de palma movies or argento films or anything like like that those the you know jallo movies especially because some of those films are just absolutely gorgeous and what what my what my intention for this was was I was just like I wanted to make something because Carnage Park's kind of bleak it's it's very like yellow tint mm-hmm. washed out my movie before that Darling is black and white and so my our approach was to do something as vibrant and arresting as possible mm-hmm. and so we got a, a brand new set of well they weren't brand new but we got this collection of these old I think they were Zeiss lenses from the sixties and so wow I'm, really. Yeah, this glass kind of it's it's old kind of glass, so it gives the digital look just a slightly you know softer image. And from there, we just kind of the effort was to just push as much in terms of color and uh, you know the abstract nature of of color for emotion as we possibly could, and make something that hopefully. You know, because in this day and age, it's really easy to go get some money and, and or not some money, but like to get no money and get a 5D camera and to shoot digital and to have it look fairly good. Everyone can shoot pretty good digital, you know, looking at, at higher resolutions now. And so what we wanted to do was just make it like we didn't we hardly used any handheld camera in the film. We uh, we we made everything uh, as colorful as possible and i think i think that was the goal kind of no i was going to say i mean again i've only like i've only seen the trailer i feel like i'm sort of i'm i'm layering it on thick but but you know there was a level of um sort of cinematic formalism to what you're watching you know you're not you're not throwing the image around you're letting us look at it you're letting us feel it and you know if i can if i can get that from just the trailer then i'm guessing the film has got a lot breathes quite well doesn't it as, as, a, as an experience that was the intention, I think, and, and you know, I, that's that was really kind of thrilling to be able to do because, you know, especially with the rise of uh, kind of Netflix series and everything and, you know, the television kind of process, everything's handheld now, even if it's like beautiful handheld anamorphic. And so what we really tried to do was go the complete opposite direction. Well, it's interesting because I, I was lucky enough to speak to um... – Larry Smith, who was uh, Kubrick's DOP on Eyes Wide Shut, and awesome. and 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 he said that, and I was asking him about the the, the use of the blue light that that, that that often dominates some of the some of the darkened rooms, and he said he said one of the things that Kubrick always banged on about to him in conversations was, I want to make it look interesting, not just real. Right. The, the effort, right. the, the 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 thing you want, you want a feel of the film, don't you? As much as oh, I can see what it looks like because looking at something is not interesting in in of itself, is it? Because 
it's like you've got to bring something else to it. And, and it's interesting you mentioned about finding an, an antique, a, a vintage lens, antique exaggeration, but of, an, an, a, a vintage lens. And then suddenly you're just adding a little quality which sort of, that sort of sends you off kilter from the average, the, the sort of average or the digital shoot, doesn't it? Because it gives it a, a different flavor that, that isn't going to be just normal, for want of a better expression. Completely, absolutely, and, and and that was really thrilling to me because you know I mean you, when you look at something like that like dress to kill or a uh, body double or something you know there's this this funny kind of white glow around the actors that's just so beautiful and doesn't really you can't capture that with digital and so we did all these kind of tricks uh, that you, that within the lens too where it was just like anything that we could do to add some sort of style because. Truly, what I think we're going towards is this is this culture of watching movies in increments while you're looking up from your phone, and that's very frustrating to me because you, you know you 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 miss so much of the experience, and and often, especially with like Twitter and stuff, people will live tweet their first time watching a movie, and you're not really watching the film; you're tweeting while the movie's playing behind you. And yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Of, uh, did the approach was like. If you look down, every two minutes you can look up, every minute and a half you can look up, and there will be something else visually striking on the screen. And hopefully, with any luck, uh, we'll, we'll be able to, uh, to fight the, the distractions that are social media. <laughs> well, the, 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 it, this is, it, this, you'll like this then. One of the beauties of Fright Fest, obviously, is um, the switch off your bloody phone campaign. That, uh, <laughs> that that they've that they've championed for years now, um, yeah. Which which is kind of like the, the the culture there is. The rule of law in Fright Fest is we don't have our phones on until the film finishes. That's and it's it's, it's it should be just basic human nature. And you I, know, I, I agree think, with you. I agree with you. <laughs> Alamo Drafthouse and Tim League really encourage that, and I think that that's smart because at the end of the day, it's like. You're making a conscious decision to go to the movie theaters and see a movie. And if you can't turn off your phone for a for I mean, Psychopaths is 85 minutes long. If you can't turn off a movie or, or your phone for 85 minutes, like wh why watch the movie? And and I think that's that's the thing that, granted, we you know times times is changing. You know. Yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. Uh -huh. And you know we're uh, we're going into this new kind of culture, but hopefully the the conscious effort of trying to make movies that you can't look away from—that's what I want to try to do. No, and I think that's I think that's the valid challenge to take up because I don't think this is an argument about the future and a luddite going. I don't want the future. It's like no, if you can if you can let yourself get absorbed by a movie, it's a fantastic experience. Totally, you, you, you'd never go and look at a, a Rothko. And tie your shoelaces while you're looking. You'd look at the Rothko. <laughs> completely. Wouldn't completely. you? And nobody would go, oh, look at you, you old-fashioned sod, looking at a painting. You know, <laughs> it's like it's, it's, it's like it's what you're meant to do. And so with a film, I think, I think if the filmmaker does a good job, then the contract between you and the audience is the audience then can give themselves to watching the film. Right. Obviously, obviously right. bad films, that doesn't happen. But that's the same with bad music, bad anything. But, right, but the good ones. I mean, imagine trying to watch Lawrence of Arabia while on your phone. 
Yeah, or even or even Lawrence of Arabia on your computer, like then getting you know notifications uh, on your computer all the time. It's like, I mean, I guess there the counter argument though is is like you were saying, kind of if a film is striking enough, it should be able to, to transcend any media. But regardless, I think I think that especially with um, with anything, you know, you try to the minute that filmmakers try to stop making films for the cinematic, you know throat grabbing experience that they can truly can be is the minute you know we we all kind of fa- you know fail as a as a society <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kind of with you i'll vote for that if you're going to run for office great perfect starts <laughs> <laughs> right now <laughs> well look um it's been great talking to you about your movie um thank you so much for having me no 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 it's uh it's 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 it sounds. I mean, it's always funny when I do because when I do the interviews work because I've done a few now where I've not seen the film because it's I'll see it at Fright Fest. But it is. It's like it's great. It's great for me that, that I'm talking to you and then I'm thinking, right, okay. So now I'm excited. So if I'm excited, hopefully that means the audience listening to the podcast and go, oh yeah, there's a film that I should be seeing. So uh, thank you for for giving us that enthusiasm and for telling us so much. Actually, I think you revealed quite a lot. Also, I thought just as another thought, I thought the. Um, Going back to your kind of vintage lens, is it? I thought that played nicely with the way you talked about writing the scripts. You got the pen and paper to the screenplay, the digital screenplay, and you got this like vintage lens, which would have been used with analog cameras in its first run. And now you're just marrying it up with a digital and going, ah, that gives me a little uniqueness, you know, a little, little, little chink is mine, you know, it's sort of. I'm an old soul, what can I say? Hopefully, hopefully, you know, thank you for your interest, and hopefully if you, uh, when you see the movie, you like it, and if you don't, it's okay, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll still be here, I'll keep making other movies, and, uh, and I'm really, really excited to hear what you think about it. Cool, well, thanks very much. Hey, thank you, I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to... The Britflix. Frightfest Preview Podcast. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something for the first.